you're tuned in to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Powerful ideas to rock your restaurant. Here's your host, Roger Bodwin. Hey guys, Roger back at you. Thanks for tuning in. In this week's episode, I am joining up with my good friend, Jamie Oikel of RunningRestaurants.com, a fellow industry pro. Jamie and I work together quite a bit, and we're interviewing Mr. Nick Bogas, who is a real pizza guy, a pizza guru, if you will. Not only has he competed on the world champion pizza stage, his company has won numerous global awards for his pizza, and he is building a pizza empire. You're not going to want to miss this episode, because in it, we're talking about everything, the importance of systems, the importance of profit ability and training and motivating and keeping a great staff and incentivizing your staff and of course how to deal with all the different shifts and unexpected challenges that the COVID crisis keeps throwing at us. So whether you love pizza or whether you like to eat it or whether you have a pizza restaurant or just any old restaurant, this business is all about passion and being resourceful and about best practices and systems and this episode has it all. So no matter what you run, restaurant, hotel, hospitality enterprise of any kind, stay tuned because this is a big one. Welcome back, everyone. This is the Restaurant Rockstars podcast, and these are engaging topics that help restaurants build their brands, rock their profits, deliver amazing guest service experiences. With me today, two people. First, I'd like to introduce Jamie Oikel of RunningRestaurants.com as our co-host. Jamie joins me on many of these recordings. We do a lot of you know industry events together, and our guest today Mr. Nick Bogaz, and he is a pizza guy through and through. He has a business in Greater Pittsburgh. It's called Caliente Pizza and Draft House. And welcome to the show today, Nick. We're so happy to have you here. Roger, Jamie, thanks for having me on. This is awesome stuff. Now, we normally start out by talking about, you know, the guest backstory in the restaurant business, the hospitality space. How did that happen for you? I know you're a delivery driver. We're going to get to that. But before all this happened, did you work in restaurants as a kid? I've been in the pizza industry since 1996, so almost uh, 20, almost 25 years. Mm-hmm. Okay. And the famous story, Jamie, you're going to love this, and, and the audience will as well. Now, um, Nick was literally driving on his very first delivery and he wrecked his car and he had to stop and borrow oh, his mom's car to complete the delivery. And it all started from there. Want to tell us that story? Sure. So, you know, when I was 17, I was a hungry 17 year old. I had uh, a lot of entrepreneurial spirit from an early age, uh, cutting grass and uh, running baseball card shows and flipping baseball cards. And then when I got to uh, get old enough to have a, a real job, I was washing cars. And my buddy said to me, man, I'm making a lot more tips delivering pizzas than you are washing cars. And I said, I guess I got to see what this delivering pizza thing is all about. So I went in and I told the guy that was hiring me, hey, I can work three to 11 every single day. I I bet uh, a lot of guys out there in the restaurant business wish they would have that guy walk in so they could close every day three on. But, uh, you know, I did. And he said, okay, how old are you? And I said, 17. And he said, you tell nobody. And, um, you know, because you can't deliver pizzas under 18. So I got hired and uh, first Friday I was delivering my car, took my first delivery and uh, smack, I hit somebody right from the rear end and and uh, the car was pretty much under construction for the next two months and I borrowed my mom's car and then I delivered in my mom's car for about the next six months and then I wrecked her car 
No and way. then, uh, yep. And then I ended up inside. My mom said, maybe you should work inside. And I just fell in love with the, the pizza industry and the restaurant industry in general, just because I was a, a, a young person that always loved sports. I was a skinny beanpole, so that equates to one thing, coach. So I had a lot of young leadership abilities. I had a youth foundation right down the street from me. I coached my younger brother's hockey teams, baseball teams. And when I got to the restaurant and pizza industry, I just fell in love with the team atmosphere of it. Yeah, that's a great story. You know, Nick, you and I have a bunch in common because when I was in college and in graduate school, I started two pizza delivery companies. I didn't actually own the pizza restaurants. I simply contracted with local businesses close to campus. I hired the drivers and I put the whole system together and I just got a percentage of the business that we drove in from campus and that lasted for years and that was a lot of fun. And then who knew that so many decades later, I would literally be in the pizza business myself. I mean, I started two wood-fired brick oven pizzerias that I ran for 20 plus years, and I no longer have pizzerias, but you know, we're sort of kindred spirits in that way. Oh, awesome. I didn't know that. That's fantastic. Yeah. All right. So let's talk about how you started Caliente and where the idea came from. So Caliente, if I'm not incorrect, means hot in Spanish. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, cool. So the name obviously makes sense and you had a vision for, you saw an opportunity and you had a vision. Let's talk about how the whole business came together before you started growing it, your very first store. All right. So a lot of it, you know, a lot of people look at Caliente success in the last eight years, we've grown five stores and over close to um, over 9 million and close to $10 million in sales. So I think a lot of people kind of think that it was an overnight success, but if you back it off and, you know, I'm 42 now, so that takes us to when I was 34. So there's a lot of, a lot of gap in there between, uh, you know, 17 year old delivery kid and 30, 34 uh, year old guy that's going to buy the, buy his first pizza shop, you know? So, so a lot of gap in there. And the, the gap was, you know, to give you the quick version, um, my wife and I have been together 20 years now, married, we've got two kids or 20 and 18. That means that when we were, 21 and 20, we started having kids. I needed a, I didn't go to college. I was a shift manager after I wrecked that second car and I thought I had it made. You know, what do I need college for? I'm a 19 year old kid that's a shift manager of a restaurant. I don't need to go to college. So basically, uh, when I, we had found out we were going to have kids, we got married, we got a house, uh, running a house, and I needed to become a general manager. So I found a local pizzeria that let me be a general manager. Um, everywhere I've ever worked at, I, I sponged off of the owners or the managers that I worked at. That, that'll fast forward all the way to last year when I wrote a book called The Pizza Equation. What it did was it took every single thing that I learned from different managers and owners along the way and put it into a book at the very end. So basically my point is when I was working at that first shop as a general manager, I worked for a guy that was kind of like a slumlord. And he was had 12, restaurant, or 12 um, apartment buildings and he had the pizza shop. And he was the type of guy that when somebody would come for a bill, he would say, hey, Nick, go out there and talk to him. I'd go talk to him. He'd hop in his car and just drive away. And that's the type of guy he was. But at the same time, he was the same guy that opened up all his books. And he said, this is what a dumpster costs. This is what it costs for the light bill. This is what it costs for the pizza. And how, here's how you figure out labor costs. Here's how you figure out food costs. So at that young age, I realized that it was a business. It was much more than selling pizzas and, and much more than just um, a, a team atmosphere place or, or, you know, it wasn't quite a sports team. It was a real business, you know? So that's where I learned that. And I learned a little bit from everybody. So if you fast forward, then I, I, he basically went out of business after he bought, he got the kiss of death. You know, some people do, some people don't when they buy that second store, he bought the second store, got a kiss of death. 
And uh, he said, hey, Nick, I'm going to have to let you go because we're going to close both stores. And I became a general manager of Papa John's. And uh, through Papa John's, I learned how to, how to build sales. I ended up with Domino's. And for, I was with Domino's for a long time. And, um, they, you know, to about 27. And you get a lot of pressures in the restaurant business about um, not having a real job. You know, I, I think you hear that so often that you don't have a real job. And as my kids got older and our, our marriage got, you know, more in depth and we were married longer, you just hear that from family and friends that you really don't have a real job. So I went ahead and I tried to get out of the pizza business and I was selling uh, radio advertising and I just hated it. Absolutely hated it. And I went back delivering pizzas two days a week. And then before you know it, it was five, six, seven days a week, 80, 80 hours a week. I was delivering at three different pizza shops, bought a $180,000 house delivering pizzas, um, showed all my tips, showed everything, bought the house. This is back 2009. And I still was hearing, you know, those things that I, I needed to go ahead and get a real job. I kept, I kept hearing that. Now, earlier Papa John's and Domino's, I had great success. I took stores from 3,000 to 12,000, 15,000 to 25,000. Um, you know, I could tell you on and on different sales and marketing things and how that came about and different things that I learned. But that was, I became the, the sales fixer and I learned at a very young age that sales fixes everything. So this is my background that I'm this, this sales uh, building marketing guy. Like that's, that's my niche and a team builder. You know, but it all starts with people. We, I'm sure you hear that all the time. So then to fast forward all that, I'm delivering these three jobs, still hearing about getting a real job. So I go and I take the post office test and I passed 2009 to become a mailman. And I learned real quickly that that's where dreams go to die. I walked in and, and uh, you know, everybody's there 30, 40 years. They're going to count on their retirement when they walk out the door. And I was like, this is not for me. This is where dreams go to die. But I put in four years there. I was delivering at those three pizza shops while I worked full time at the post office. Guy at the post office said, hey, you seem reliable. Would you like to count money at the Civic Arena? where the Penguins play at night. So I said, yes. So I had five jobs for the next three years, 90 to 100 hours a week. And um, just, trying to, just trying to grind. You know, before it was cool to grind. I mean, I just, I just worked my butt off. And I always wanted my own pizza shop. I got into a lot of um, reading when I was – I took over the Papa John's. Eventually what happened was that Papa John said, hey, we know your history. We'd like you to run this store. And I said, well – you know, I can't work 80, 90 hours a week because I'm working full time at the at the post office. But I thought maybe I'd go down to two jobs instead of five. So I took over running the Papa John's and I realized that it was a college store and they had never hit a million dollars. They've been there 22 years. Their profits were 27,000. And one year I took them to $147,000 in profits and over a million dollars in sales. I had a lot of young guys that worked for me that went to college and I would try to schedule them on the weekend. And they say, hey, we need to... Uh, be off because we got to study and read books. And I realized that's what I missed in college was reading books. So I just started to read everything. If I want to learn how to negotiate, I read six months of negotiating books. If I want to learn about self-finance, I read six months of self-finance books. If I want to learn about anything, I just kept reading and reading and reading. I kept, for some reason, kept coming across, you know how in a book, they'll go ahead and have a, another book like, hey, this book was you know um, a good book to read or I got some information on this book. And it was Think and Grow Rich. And every time I, I land on that book, yep, <laughs> right back there in there, Somewhere right here. here. Somewhere here. I yeah, absolutely. Book. Yeah, it's on that shelf, right? Yep. So when I landed on it, um, you know, I, I read it and I probably have read it 12 to 15 times now. And that's when I realized I was like, you know what? I have no idea 
how I'm going to go from a guy with, uh, you know, basically no money. You know, I'm, I've got a house. I'm paying the mortgage. We go on vacation. That means I got to work double when I come back. It's not like, you know, I'm paycheck to paycheck, but I'm, you know, we're, we're living in middle class family, but I'm working my butt off. And uh, I just said, okay, I'm going to listen to the book and put it aside and not worry about how I'm going to come up with the money to buy my pizza shop, but I'm going to, I'm buying a, I'm buying my own pizza shop. That's it. I'm doing it. So I started uh, walking into stores in the city of Pittsburgh, like right around the University of Pitt, because I knew if we're going to have a shop, we need to be down by the college town so we could be busy. And I'd walk in and I'd say, sell me your pizza shop. And they'd say, get the hell out of here. And the fifth guy said, I have a pizza shop for sale over uh, across the bridge. My buddy has a shop. I walked in. And I was like, oh, shit. It's, it's a full bar. And, uh, you know, 150 seats in it. And I walked in the back and uh, full pizza kitchen, all I needed. We sat down. He told me the price, 185000 I said, uh, I wanted to buy it. He said, uh, how are you going to pay me? And I said, well, you tell me how I'm going to pay you. I, said, I told him my history and everything I've done and all the hours I worked. And he said, well, save up uh, what you can running it. We'll keep it my name for nine months. And then at the end of the nine months, um, you can give me everything you've earned, and I'll finance you over the next five years. And I have bought four out of five stores with uh, little to mo no money down. That is an unbelievable story. And there's so many key learnings here, Jim. I'm sure you're, you know, making mental notes of everything that Nick said, but yeah. it, let's start with, um, I love the fact that you learned on somebody else's dime, Papa John's and Domino's, you know, two of the leading brands in pizza, arguably. I mean, no one can dispute that. I mean, what you learned there is invaluable because you didn't just have a dream. And so many people have a dream. I want to start a restaurant. They don't know the first thing about it. And, and then the second key that you said was it's a business. People go into the restaurant business thinking, oh, I'm, run I'm running a restaurant. No, you're running a business. You know, people that run restaurants go out of business really quickly. Sure. So I think that's beautiful. Jane, what do you got? Man, dude, I was writing a whole bunch right? of stuff down it's because there's a there's a there's a ton to unpack there. Yeah, uh, starting with uh, the the overnight success, eight years in the making, right? That's that's part of it. Mm. Uh, I really really like the phrase "sponged off of other people, off of all the the role models." So if if you know if you're listening to this and and you and you haven't done that uh, in your life yet, you know that's an excellent idea to take what you can from every situation, whether you like the guy, don't like the guy, everybody's got something to, to teach you and to learn. So, so that was great. I do want to hear more about the book, uh, coming soon. So let's make sure we come back yeah. to that because to take what you learn and put it into a book is, is no short undertaking and so forth. And I, and also I, I wrote down the, the, the phrase sales fixer and team builder. And so we want to talk about those two things for sure, because, uh, where we're sitting right now, there is zero people in the country who are, are, are not interested in, in, in the sales fixing part, like how to increase sales, like what can you do? Like if you, you know, and I'm sure you're going to come from a mindset of creative. I, I'm just, that's, that's what I'm, what I'm guessing. And uh, so there's, there's a lot there, Raj, uh, wh where do you want to take it next? Well, the profit margin he talked about was pretty incredible story because, you know, when he took over th that store that had like a $27,000 profit, it never hit a million dollars in sales. And suddenly, you know, you boost that to over a hundred thousand in profit. I mean, there's some key learnings there because obviously you're focused on the numbers. You were focused on putting systems in place. You talked about food costs. You talked about labor costs. You talked about inventory. These are so many critical things that so many operators out there don't do or they're afraid to do or they don't have time to do. And at their peril, right, Nick? I mean, that's, these are foundational elements of your business that you learned a long time ago. And now you, you obviously have a very healthy profit margin. 
You know, what we do in, in our, in my business here, what I do is every single Monday at eight o'clock, we hop on a phone call with the, all the general managers and my regional chef, who's basically like my, my regional supervisor. And we sometimes we'll bring on our marketing director. Sometimes we'll bring on our beverage director and sometimes we'll bring on our office manager. So every Monday it's the, you know, the upper echelons of our managers meet at eight o'clock. And what that meeting is, is we have a chart that my office manager pulls and, and puts together from all the stores for the previous week that has everything on it from how many orders we had last year, how many orders we took this year, ticket average, food cost, uh, labor cost, um, how many voids are on there, how many discounts are on there. I mean, there's probably about 30 different things that are on this chart. And then we just go at it for 45 minutes on, you know, I go over the chart for a good 20 minutes, pick out a bunch of different things, talk about it. And each manager gets like a five minute rebuttal of, hey, this is what happened in our shop last week. These are our needs. These are our, our you know, desires of where we are on staff. And this is, you know, let me explain some of these numbers. And this is, um, you know, our cost of goods might have looked high this week, but, you know, we had a uh, slower sa Sunday. So we know we're going to order less this coming up this week. It should bounce back. Like a lot of different communicating about the, the numbers. But I think what I've done really well is, is taught what these numbers mean to our managers and how to find the numbers, how to really break down and get a labor cost, how to really break down and get a cost of goods or a food cost. And I think that's where I've made a lot of headway. But back when I did the Papa John's and, you know, sometimes there's low hanging fruit in, in a restaurant too. And I think that's where a lot of consultants can come in and they can kind of look around at a shop that's never, ever done um, anything as far as, you know, they've never even counted inventory and they're like, oh, well, I can make this guy more money real quick because I'm going to show him how much extra cheese he's putting on his pizzas or how much, you know, whatever it may be extra that they're putting on the products. Or they say, you know, why do they have everybody coming at three o'clock at a restaurant? And they're not getting a rush till five o'clock. Like they can cut out that easy labor. So I think there's a lot of times, like if you're not really paying attention to the little things that, that, you know, pennies really do add up to dimes, nickels, you know, nickels, dimes, quarters, dollars, yes, and uh, hundreds, thousands of dollars, especially in a restaurant. I think um, that that's what you have to look at. You have to like stop and just go back to, you know, the costs are so important that that food costs and labor costs to me is, is just about everything in, in a business. And if you have a guy that, you know, their labor cost is over 6% that week, you know, and your profit margins 10%, that means you made 4% instead of 10%. You know, that's, that's how mm -hmm. that percent doesn't come from anywhere else. It comes right off of your, your profit margin. And I think that's what a lot of restaurateurs um, need to really see. Maybe ones that you're like, you said that they're, they're thinking they're in there running a restaurant, not running a business. Yeah. I mean, I can't argue with anything you just said. It's all spot on for sure. You know, Roger, one thing that I wanted to pick up for, for folks is, uh, you know, Nick, 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 obviously running five stores. Mm -hmm. And so having a meeting with five people and that sounds big, like, a, like that, you know, it sounds like a big undertaking. Forget about that for a second. If you still have one store, take exactly what he's doing and doing with the people in your one store and have your meeting and have your key people and talk about all the same things. And, and in this case, he talked about having 30 metrics to go through, which is fantastic. Don't think because you're, you know, you're, you're, you're small, you can't start putting these things in place. I, I mean, because you can't exist, you can't exist with two, three, four stores if you're not doing this. So start doing it now if you do have a, have a vision to expand. And I love the fact that you're teaching your folks to understand the numbers themselves. A lot of owners, uh, and I've talked with Roger about this before, open book management philosophy. 
uh, they want to keep that shit secret. Uh, like they don't want the, the other folks to know the recipe of how I make money. No, it's completely the opposite. If you want your staff and your, your people to be vested in your success, like you need to teach them where the dollars and the pennies and all that stuff goes. And so whether it's an exercise of taking a hundred bucks and showing how that hundred bucks disappears so quickly, and sometimes there's 55 cents left if you're not careful, like then they start, then they start to really get it. So um, that philosophy also is is going to help you grow because those people, maybe that dude opens your, your next store and all of a sudden you're at 10 stores with everybody knowing what the heck's going on. So th- those are some, those are some real big things that anybody can, can take, take and operate with. Totally get that. That leads to the sort of the next topic of discussion, how you motivate your team. And obviously you got key managers in the different stores and you got a regional guy, you know, the supervisor you talked about, are they all incentivized in some way? And uh, are they empowered to make critical decisions when you're not there? Yeah, absolutely. I think just to go back real quick to a great point Jamie made of, yeah, you can do this if you have one store, you know, keep in mind that I had one store. I didn't, I didn't just, you know, walk in and buy five stores. So we had no systems when we started. That's where I do think Papa John's Domino's helped me a lot is, you know, I was used to systems. So sure, I've used some systems that I used there before, but a lot of them, you know, we created our new systems. And that's what I I would tell a guy with one store is, you know, yes, go out and figure out some systems that work for you. And the meetings are so important. You know, if you're not a person that really likes meetings, um, they're, they're so important. I would challenge you to go out and start having meetings. And I'll give you one quick tip and then we can move on about, about the meetings is don't just say we're going to have meetings and then when do you have your meetings? You have them when you have problems. Put a time, a place in that are set in stone. Eight o'clock Mondays on the phone, period. Doesn't matter if you're on vacation, not on vacation. Like that's our time for, you know, we're never moving it. It's set in stone. We have all our managers, 35 of them, the first Tuesday of every month at one o'clock doesn't move. Third Tuesday of every month is all our upper managers, AMs, GMs, and um, all the bar managers. You know, second, tu- second Tuesday of a third Tuesday of every month. So it's the first Tuesday of every month, third Tuesday of every month, and every single Monday at eight o'clock. For a long time, we would just pick and choose a meeting. Okay, we're, we need to have a meeting right now. You know, the health department was in. Oh my God, we got to have a meeting. So we pick a day and have a meeting. And then it's like, we won't have another meeting for six weeks. Like, I thought I was doing everything right because we were having meetings. But you have to have them set in stone. So I just wanted to throw that out there real quick, too. All right. Let's uh, let's talk about motivating your team and how you incentivize them. Okay. So I think the biggest thing that everybody asks in the restaurant business, for the most part, you know, might be a little different with COVID, but I still think it's a big thing is how do you hire? You know, how do you keep people? How do you, how do you hire is really, how do you find people? That's what everybody says. So I try to take a back, backwards approach to it. You know, how do we find people? I throw that out and I say, how do we keep our employees? That's what's more important. Retention to me is more important than hiring. You can try and, and do different hirings, Craigslist and Facebook and, you know, um, different things that, hey, we'll give, give you a hundred bucks if you get somebody to come in and get a job and all those little things. I mean, there's really nothing new on the hiring, you know, the onboarding and all that's so important, but how do you keep them? So that's what you're asking about. How do we incentivize our employees? We do a lot of different things. We do things like pre-COVID, giant Christmas parties, you know, giant, like extravagant. We rent out a a giant, um, uh, it's called the Gateway Clipper. It's like a giant boat right on the river. We have a giant Christmas party on there. Now, before that, when we were one store, we had it in the bowling alley, but it was all the booze, all the food that we paid for. We had a big party. 
then we went ahead and uh, had a summer party every year. We, and the Christmas party was like for you and a guest. The summer party was for your family. And we rented out like those big jumpy bouncy houses and a band and um, brought a brought beer. And then I did all the cooking, you know, fried chicken. And I'd bring bring our fryers there or grill. And we'd cook burgers, dogs, fried chicken. And then we'd have a big summer party. And we had that when we had one store. And we had that when we, we've had five stores. So we've, we've grown to, you know, big giant parties. But they look forward to that. And then I realized, you know, along the way somewhere, you know, that just wasn't quite enough. So we created things like, you know, the old fashioned employee of the month where, you know, people in the restaurant business might think, oh, that's just a joke. It'd be going to McDonald's and see, you know, restaurant of the month or employee of the month. But people like that. They like to feel uh, recognized. They like to feel mm -hmm. value. Absolutely. So, you know, we give them a $50 gift card to, to Amazon. We, we go ahead and put their picture up. We put them on social media if they like that. Um, and then we, we do a manager of the month. We give them an extra paid vacation day off. We give them a $100 gift card for, for Amazon, and they get a shirt. They're part of the Caliente Wolf Pack, and uh, they, they get a shirt. And then for anyone who's every year that they're there, they get another shirt that's a special shirt that's years of service on the sleeve. It says right there, five years, six years, seven years. We do have one employee who's been with me the whole time, eight years. We have a lot of sixes, a lot of sevens, a lot of fives. And, um, you know, a slew of three and fours, tons. But, um, you know, we have these shirts that they, they wear, they get on their, their anniversary date. Um, then, you know, still like, okay, well, how do, you, how do you compete when you're maybe paying, you know, 10, 11, 12 bucks an hour, and then you're, you're trying to figure out how do you run your labor costs, and then how do, you, how do you figure that out? And, you know, a lot of times people leave you for a quarter or they'll leave you for 50 cents. So what can I offer so that the managers don't leave? And we came up with a bonus system and, you know, bonus systems. The worst thing about a bonus system is if you make it hard enough that you, they can never get it. That's the worst thing. You know, you have to set it so that they actually can achieve the bonus, but you also want to set it so that you're making out on it too, that it's not coming out from your pocket that when you pay out these bonuses that you're still able to say, Hey, we did well enough that they earned this bonus. So we set up a bonus system and for the first year, nobody hit it. Now, we tweaked it a little bit because I was trying to make it a little bit easier for them to hit, but at the same time, the numbers were so off that they weren't hitting it. So I felt like rather than making everything easier, I needed to teach more. So that's where I really got down. I was like, look, this is why you're 2% off on your labor. Let's look at your schedule. Let's look at why you have five people at 4 o'clock when you can have two people at 4 o'clock. Let's look at why you have an extra prep cook on a Monday when you really should have that extra prep cook maybe on a Thursday going into the weekend and different things and like really helping them understand how they can cut their labor. Let's look at food costs. You know, we don't have scales in the restaurants. I think if we get scales in the restaurants, we can really try and try and figure out, you know, a, a better food cost. And then we would, okay, let's everybody use scales. Wow. We shaved two points off our food cost by using scales. And then before you know it, you know, I'm paying $30,000 every quarter out on, on bonuses. And the thing is, is I did it pretty much that I set the goal, said 30% is our cost of goods. And I realized our real cost of goods, if they ran everything right with scales, about 28%. So I said, okay, anything between 28 and 30% is yours. And labor costs, I set it at, at what I felt like the stores could run on with a full restaurant. We run really tight labor, anywhere from 22 to 24%. And depends on the size of the restaurant. And anything under that, I give right back to them. Because I'm profitable and make my make what I want to make at 24% or at the 22 depends on the restaurant and everything underneath I give to them. Now they they can um, 
the other thing they're kind of throwing as an extra bonus is their their sales. If anything, they're positive over the year before, I give them 10% of the sales. So if they're up um, 10,000 bucks for the week, they earned 1,000 bucks on their bonus. If they're up 1,000 bucks, they earned 100 bucks for, the, for their bonus. And we do take negatives. You know, if, if they're negative on sales, it comes off. If they're over on the food cost, it comes off. So we have, you know, we've worked, really worked these stores to make sure that they're positive. And, um, you know, I know at some point you're going to ask me about COVID. When we went into COVID, I, I told him, I said, look, I said, I don't know what's going to happen with the bonuses. I'm expecting that we're not going to pay them out, you know, um, that we're not going to be positive. But I want you guys to, I need you to be harder on the costs than you've ever been. We've been training for this. So we had really that March 15th, we had an 11 o'clock meeting at night because we already had all the systems in place to have meetings. And on top of all the meetings, we have group me, which is like a what's up. We have, we have a bunch of different ones, all the managers on one, the whole entire store on one. And we were able to whole entire company on one. So we were able to just tell everybody like, Hey, this is when we're going to have a meeting. We talked a lot about the, um, uh, the cost of goods and the labor costs and keeping them low during, during COVID. And, um, as you kind of mentioned the, in the very beginning, the pizza industry did great during COVID. So these guys got great bonuses for the second quarter. Um, you know, we're, it's, it's kind of tapered off. Not that everybody's gotten open again or somewhat open. So, um, you know, they're working towards different kind of goals for the third quarter, but that's, that's what I do to incentivize them. I try to keep it interesting. Um, we, we try to make sure that we're thanking people for what they do. I also try to teach my guys how to, how to appreciate them. And I think another thing just to throw out there is I, I try to fix everything. So equipment wise. So if we have broken coolers or if you have broken sinks or whatever it is, when you don't fix stuff like that, your employees feel like you don't care about them. So if you've got a sink that's been leaking for six months and every night they got to bend down and clean up that mess before they go home, they think that you don't care about them. They think all you care about is the money and not fixing the sink. If you've got a fryer that leaks grease on the floor every night and you don't fix the fryer for eight, buy a new fryer for 800 bucks, they think you don't care about them. So, you know, you asked about decision making. We have a list of every single person that fixes every single thing at the store. And the managers know all they have to do is call that number. Hey, We've got a leaky, leaky sink. Jeff, the plumber, can you come in? Yep, I'll be there tomorrow. They send me a text. Nick, Jeff's coming tomorrow to fix the sink, just so you know. Cool. Anything over 500 bucks, they let me know about it. Anything under 500 bucks, they just get it fixed. But yeah, that, that kind of sums up what you were asking. Hey, Rod, so uh, I, I just want, want to jump in because of this particular point. Uh, what you did not get was a simple answer of we give uh, $50 gift cards twice a year to our people and they love it like like that like that like you could imagine a place saying that's what we do but uh, Nick just rolled through like you know bullet after bullet of things that will keep people you know motivated to be on his team for now and the future I mean from the parties to to the improvements to the shirts to the bonus system and not just a basic bonuses something that had tiers that had checkpoints oh, yeah. oh, yeah. and and when it has all those little details to the point we've already talked about, he's taught them how to how to how to achieve those those goals inside of it. So so very powerful system there. Um, one thing I want to get to, Raj, if you want to stay on the on the on the incentive stuff, you know, feel free. But I definitely am curious because you both can speak to this uh, beer, like beer is as part of the pizza business. I want to get into that, but do you want to go, do you, do you want to talk about that for a sec, Roger? Or you want to talk about people more? Cause Roger, Roger is, is fanatical about people and he could, he could, he could go on. So I don't want to steal your thunder, Roger. Well, 
you know, let's let's hold on to the beer topic because it's definitely something that I that I wanted to bring into this discussion. I also want to talk about, you know, what happened when COVID first hit, did things slow down? Where are you at now? Are you finding there's less competition out there? Are you are you an indoor seating place? Has it always been a fast casual, you know, takeout place? Um, how is that affecting you? And then clearly, you know, we want to talk about the additional profits that come from having a bar. And it's probably, you know, maybe it's even beyond the draft house. I mean, I'd like to ask you, are you serving hard alcohol as well? I mean, we can go down so many different roads. Uh, what do you think, Jane? Let's, what's, what's an, I want to talk about staff training too, not just the management piece. It's like, obviously, you know, how you motivate and how your customer service experiences, you know, equate to online reviews and word of mouth and increased business and loyal customers and all that. This is all huge stuff. Why don't we talk about that next? So yeah, I guess yeah, you gave you gave a lot there. So yeah, I you, did. You, let's yeah. let's talk about the staff, like the service yeah. team in your yep. restaurants, and yep. you know, and what you do that's special, and any special training, and and how yep. you know those people are empowered to you know make friends for Caliente every day that you're open. All that sort of stuff is really important. Okay, yeah, I think the staff training is a good one, and I I think you know bring it back to a great point Jamie made is about you know when you have one store compared to somebody like listening to me with five stores like. All this stuff that I'm talking about, like that I went through with employee incentives, we added this stuff when we're looking around like, why can't we keep people? You know, and same thing like with the training. You know, nobody wants to work in a place where they don't feel like they were trained. You know, a lot of times you hear parents say like their their kids want discipline. Like, you know, like, like it's the same thing because it's part of the part of the process. So how do you train your staff? That That's a great question. And what we did was we have a 20-point um, basically a sheet, 20 to 30 points that says everything that you need to be trained for every single position, a hostess, a server, a bartender, a cook, a shift manager, kitchen manager, system manager, general manager, everybody has a checklist and it gets more entailed as you go up to general manager, they're writing essays on, you know, how to save costs and everything else. And I mean, for somebody just coming into the store, wants to be say a, a bartender, you know, there's different questions on there. And we, we won, um, you know, we're three-time world pizza champions. And back in 2016, we won our first championship for a pizza called the Quack Attack. So, you know, what I noticed one day on our review was somebody said they came in, they asked the server what a Quack Attack was. They had no idea. You know, meanwhile, we're, we're out there uh, marketing this thing like crazy. And I said, what the, what the heck? Like, how wouldn't they know that? And it turns out it was somebody who's been there for two weeks, you know, so – Another big thing is I never blame the person. I always blame myself, always. And, and believe me, it is difficult. Sometimes you're like, I just can't blame myself on this one. <laughs> but then uh, that's when you got to take a walk for an hour and take a deep breath. And you're like, yep, I, I see where I went wrong, even though I don't want to admit it. And I, I said, you know what? We're, we're just not training them the right way. So on that training sheet with 20 points, it starts with things like, um, you know, we give them a, a tour of the store when they start. So there's things like, does the, do they know what the employee discount is? Do they, you know, that was another thing. Everybody gets 50% off. That's, I guess, another incentive, but that's a given. So whether they're working or not. And then it's like, um, do they know what the employee discount is? Do they know um, where the, where the, where the, um, where we keep the beer? Do they know where um, everything, you know, how do they, can they take a phone order? Can they, um, do they know the uniform policy? All these different things are on this uh, training packet. Another thing on there is, can they explain what a quack attack is? You know, I said, after that, I said, we need a training packet. We need to put something on there. Like, 
what is the quack attack? Because if, if they can't explain it to the customer, you know, we look foolish. So all these different training packets is what we have. And, you know, we, you know, do you have a mission statement? Don't you have a mission statement? I would say for five years, we didn't have a mission statement. Now it's, it's very simple, you know, to, to smile, go above and beyond and smile and, ex and exceed the customer's expectations. You know, smile is right in there. So you're asking about like, do we do anything different for the customer? You know, we talk about smiling because I think when you go into a restaurant, you see people smiling, it goes a long way. We work a lot with the hostess. You know, the hostess training packet has a lot of different things. It's all about greeting the customer is all on there. Do, have they been trained to greet the customer, to, to get their name, to, you know, say please and thank you and um, to give a quote real times, you know, that's all these big things. And I think um, all the staff training is what's real important. So it's not, hey, um, this is Joe and Joe's going to, you're going to work with Joe tonight. And the next night it's, uh, hey, you're going to work with Sam tonight. And, you know, and then you learn all Joe's bad habits. You all learn all Sam's bad habits is no, here's your training packet for the next week. Carry this around. We're going to show you everything. And the store tour that I mentioned, um, you know, we, I've been preaching about store tours and I have one manager that just gave great store tours. So one of these big giant 35 manager meetings, I said to him, I said, all right, we're at, uh, his name's also Nick. I said, we're at Nick's store. He said, Nick, give everybody the tour. So we're going on a field trip and he took us all around. Here's where the dumpster is. This is where the bathroom is. This is where you hang your clothes and give everybody like, this is the, our onboarding pro process. Like this is how we onboard people. And when they get onboarded like that and, you know, don't just give them their paperwork to fill out and disappear, you know, sit down and fill their paperwork with them. Hey, do you have any questions on your paperwork? Dude? Where can I help you on it? Oh, you don't know how to fill a W2 out. Do you have dependents? Don't you have dependents? Like you just leave people to figure that stuff out on their own you have a really hard time keeping people and it all goes back to, you know, we put so much money into hiring people, but how do we actually keep them? And all this training and all the, everything we're talking about staff, it, it's all goes back to retention. Wow. Unbelievable nuggets on huh, Jim. I mean, this is, this is just so powerful for every operator out there, you know, just a wealth of experience and knowledge and, and, and experience. And, you know, this is common sense stuff that is missed by so many operators. The philosophy, the approach, the way you treat your people is how your people treat the customer. It's, it's all, wow, it just goes from there. Killer stuff. Thank you, Nick, for sharing all that. Yep. Yeah, and I've interviewed Roger countless times for, for my audience of, of restaurant folks out there. And uh, I know he believes in a lot of the same stuff uh, that you're talking about when he, when he would train, train his staff. It's all about product knowledge. It's about having the ability to upsell. Uh, and you can't do that unless you're comfortable knowing the story behind uh, your restaurant, what's different about your restaurant, what's different about your offerings, having favorites to talk about. Uh, and, and I just, I interviewed Roger yesterday for something else. And, and you know, the, the whole answer of, I don't know, comes up if that, you know, and it sounded like that came up on your quack attack story. Like, I don't know, should not come out of the, the mouth of your servers because right. you've done something wrong uh, along the chain. And, and, and you, you know, you've, you've identified that, um, so you guys are do, doing a lot of things right. Uh, for for two seconds, I, I I jumped out to the to the website for you guys. And one of the things I love at the bottom of the website, uh, just because you're talking about people, is they got a great shot of I don't know, this 20 people here. They're all happy. They're all smiling. You can see their team. They're they're happy to be that. And and I give restaurants a hard time on their websites when they don't show people. Like you are a people business. Mm. You're a team. You want two things. Two things when to do that. One, me if I was a customer, I go, oh man, these guys look cool. I I want to support them. But two, if I, if I was looking for a job, I'd be like, oh, that, that kind of looks like a good, good, play, good place to go work uh, versus the other one. I swear to God, there's so many damn websites. I used to do critiques of them. Uh, 
One was there was no people, right? There's nobody to contact. Two was like, two, the worst one is that on, the, on their homepage, uh, there's like, there'd be no phone number or address or no way to find them. I'd be like, hello. But, but anyway, so I, again, I, I didn't, didn't dig into all the pieces of the website, but I like, I like that part where you show the people, show who you are. It does say World Champions Pizza right on uh, mm-hmm. the, the homepage. Right. And Roger would love that as a branding call, as a right away, mm-hmm. something you can talk Absolutely. about. They sit down, hey, did you know we're World Pizza Champs three years in a row? You know that our pizzas are going to be good. Which one do you want? So you got to have that differentiation stuff. So a lot of stuff there. They also were named Best Pizza in America in 2019, James, for a pie called the Meemaw. Tell us about the Meemaw and how this all came about. Sure. So my regional chef who's on the, t- who's on the team with us, he is, um, he is fantastic. He's been a good friend of mine for years and years. Um, I guess the, the story goes, as I talk about working at Papa John's and Domino's, you know, a lot of stuff comes in uh, bags or sauce or cans, you know, and yeah. so I wasn't a recipe guy, you know, I just, I knew after 17 years in the business, what a good pizza tasted like, but I can't say that I was this uh, chef, you know, I was a, a marketer, a people person, um, a systems guy, and I would call my good friend up, Eric, who ran the, a white tablecloth um, restaurant, and I would say, okay, I've got my dough recipe pretty much figured out what order do I put it in? You know, being a master baker, he would tell me this is how it goes in the mixer and in this order. And then I would say things like, okay, um, you know, I like a, like a signature wing sauce and he would help me with the signature wing sauce and all these different things. And then fast forward to when this is 2012 and then 2015 or 2014, I went to the international pizza expo in Las Vegas and I saw these competitions out there and they were like, I mean, I was a little kid in a candy shop at, if you've never been there, I suggest it for anyone in the pizza industry. It's nine football fields full of, of everything related to pizza. And one of the things they have is tons of competitions. And when I saw these culinary competitions, I was like, I, I couldn't win one of these, but I know who could. So I also just read a book. I was on like a, you know, I went to the expo and then I went on vacation right after for a week. So I took like two weeks off, probably the first time since I bought the restaurant. And I read a book called The Entrepreneurial Roller Coaster by Darren Hardy. And Darren talked a lot about how you should hire people that you can't afford because eventually you, you can't afford not to have them. And that, you know, they'll bring you more money by hiring them than you would if you, you don't. You know, don't, don't think of what their salary is, is, is what you intentionally have to pay them forever and they're not going to earn it. You know, you need to have A players. So between that and seeing these competitions, I was like, I got to bring Eric on somehow, you know, and we had two stores at that time. And I had him over for shish kebabs with his whole family, which wasn't weird because I'm the godfather to his daughter. But what was weird is I pitched him on joining Caliente. And he looked at me like I was crazy, you know, and, and uh, he's like, I'm a white tablecloth, fine dining chef. Like, why would I want to do pizzas? And, um, you know, I told him, I was like, look, you've been there seven years, you know, and, um, I, I can't pay you what you're worth, but they're not paying you what you're worth. And I can pay you what they're paying you. I said, and as we grow, I was like, I'll be able to pay you more. And I laid out everything that we were, that I wanted them to do. It wasn't just about winning championships. It was about, you know, the uh, helping us with the inventory and helping us with the, the, the vendors and helping us get better product in and, and um, instructions and menu guides of how to make everything. We have a, menu guides now to make everything from a pepperoni pizza all the way to, you know, every single pizza on the menu. Like it's like a, a book that's three inches thick to how to make every single thing. And then we took this and we put it on all the walls. So everybody, a new guy can walk in and make a pepperoni pizza and knows that 48 pepperonis go on a pizza. And, 
Eric uh, went ahead, called me a couple days later, said, I'm going to join you. Just tell you what kind of guy he is. He gave his job. He's been there seven years, a three-month notice, not a two-week notice, but three months. And, um, you know, probably two months in, I'm like, is he really going to come work for me? Like, you know, no way. But uh, June yeah. 1st, you know, 2014, I guess it was, uh, he, 2015, rather, he, he, uh, he joined me. And I'm real big into writing your goals down, like huge, you know, uh, believe in power of the pen. So we wrote down from day one, and one of the goals on there was to win a championship and uh, win a world championship. And when we went out to Vegas in 2016, um, he won the best pan pizza in, a, in the world with um, the Quack Attack that I had mentioned earlier. And um, I mean, amazing pizza. It's got truffle truffle oil on it, and wow. I mean, it's just it's just unbelievable. You know, uh, seared duck, like I mean, pan seared. It's just like unbelievable. Then um, he created a culture among us that uh, these guys wanted to be champions and compete. So I had a guy who, who could, he learned how to stretch pizza like, like so good. And he went out to, in 2017, he won the world championship for the world's largest pizza stretch. And then in 2018, Eric went out and he won the championship for the best non-traditional pizza. He put Wagyu beef on a, on a pizza. If you can imagine that one. And um, it wasn't just put Wagyu beef on it. I'm you know, you guys can understand what I'm talking to fine dining chef like it was you know exactly at all you know thousand ingredients i always tell him i say when he tells me what he's gonna make when he loses me on these ingredients i'm like you're on the right track you know when i have no idea what he's talking about i'm like sounds great and um after that um you know there's a team called the world pizza champions and it's it's uh got a few founders tony geminani is one of them um he's 13 time world pizza champion if you've ever seen anybody throwing pizzas on tvs it probably was tony on late night shows and he had asked us to uh, – I met Tony a few years earlier. He was at our restaurant at uh, Caliente back when we first opened and uh, on a book tour of his. And he had asked, um, asked Eric and I to join the World Pizza Champions in 2018. And from doing that, we have traveled to Italy a few times, London competing. And when we were in Italy, uh, Eric, pretty much we started in Rome and we went to Parma, which is about seven – hours north and we went on a bus and we stopped at a lot of different small towns in between there and he pillaged all the different little shops in Italy for all these ingredients for the Mimo Rapini and and different cheeses and all these different sauces and then when he he got there he made this uh, great pan pizza and out of all the Americans competing and all the American pizzas his finished uh, number one so he got named the best American best pizza in America uh, as voted on in Italy for 2019. And that was the Mima. That's amazing. But spinach and uh, porchetta. <laughs> this porchetta that we got from San Giamano, it was unbelievable. It was like a, a it was like a, I don't know, just an unbelievable experience. We're there. The girl's probably like 19, speaking like broken English, you know, Italian girl. She's cutting this porchetta with a butcher butcher knife. The porchetta's like, you know, two inches thick, throws it on Italian bread, and we're eating it like, oh, my God, this is so good. And that's what he put on his pizza. And he won. Nice. Yeah. Unbelievable. That's that's marketing. That's branding. That's the power of ingenuity. And that's passion, really. That really comes down to passion, not just for business, but for pizza itself, because there's such a history of pizza. And very few people understand what that history is. It's a proud tradition in Italy. Of course, it's passed down from generation to generation. And you mentioned the funny thing about what you said earlier, Nick, about get a real job in pizza. Mm -hmm. Pizza is revered in Italy and pizza oh, yes. makers, pizza 
Paolos are revered, like especially if they were part of a traditional family that passed that that skill set down. And owning a pizza shop, it's like you're a CEO of a corporation in America. If that's you in Italy, it's really that that powerful. Yeah, it really is. You know, we went to uh, Naples last yeah. year. You know, home of the Neapolitan pie, and exactly, it was unbelievable. We went to this thing called Pizza Village, and it was about eighty pizza vendors outside, right next to the ocean. And at, you would go at night and it was like a rock concert. I mean, there was a band up there that was playing all this music. There was probably like, you know, five to 10,000 people in the stands, like, or like in the lawn, like just enjoying the concert, these giant lights overhead showing, going crazy. And then every booth had their own Neapolitan wood fired oven and they were serving uh, a cheese, um, like a margarita pizza, and then some kind of special pizza that they made. And these pizzas were like unbelievable. And from that, you know, I always, in the pizza business, I was, grew up Papa John's Domino's, so it was a conveyor oven. And these competitions and stuff, I would cook on some of these wood-fired ovens. And I think, you know, from from your experience, you'll appreciate mm-hmm. this. When I Absolutely. was in Naples, I was like, I need a wood-fired oven. So for my for my um, camp, up, about an hour and a half north of my house, um, back in June, I bought a Mariforna uh, wood-fired oven. And... Um, it is just unbelievable. So I have been cooking Neapolitan pizzas all summer long uh, when I get some time to get away, and they're, they're just fantastic. But you're right. Like, you go over to Italy, and, and those pizza guys, they are like uh, royalty over there, you know, and they're, they're very well-known. They have schools, and um, those competitions in Italy are cutthroat. You know, they really, really are cutthroat. Um, Tony that I mentioned is one of the very few Americans that's ever won the whole entire competition not just best american but but the whole entire competition because it really um i don't want to say they're prejudiced to the italians but they are so so that's kind of how those competitions are but they're really really tough you get a translator and everything and i mean it is just a you know there's about a thousand people at least maybe two thousand people at these competitions they're just intense over in italy they're crazy that's beautiful that's that's the passion right there that's the heritage and the passion of the pie <laughs> absolutely Jamie. Jim, you wanted to talk about the bar. Why don't we dive into that? What specific um, areas do you want to focus on, Jane? Oh, just real quick, because I know you like to you like to target about an hour for your episodes or less. But uh, so just keep that part real quick. I just wanted to, to highlight. I mean, beer and pizza, boom, go together. No, no, not not telling any stories. How do you guys make the beer part of it uh, different? So, you know, I'm a pizza guy through and through. You guys introduced me that way. You know, you heard the story. I am pizza guy. Um, you also heard that I came in and saw the bar and said, Oh shit. Um, I didn't want the bar, you know, a little bit backstory in October will be 15 years. Um, no drinking for me. So at seven years, you know, I, I, um, when I walked in the bar, I I hadn't drank alcohol in seven years and I don't even drink a sip, you know? So it's like, I didn't want the bar at all. And it was a blessing. I mean, a huge blessing. When anybody opens up a pizzeria, they all say the same thing. I have the best pizza. Like, that's what everybody says. I have the best pizza. I wasn't going to be that guy. You know, and, and the marketing told me one thing. I learned early on having the bar that people come in for this craft beer. You know, we're talking 2012, you know, big boom in craft beer over the last eight years, you know, probably 10 years even. But people would come in and they, they just wanted these special kegs. You know, if you had a beer, I remember one, there's a beer called Mad Elf. Uh, Trogues made, makes it out of Harrisburg. comes out just for Christmas. And they only gave out so many kegs throughout the city. But if you had this keg, you'd have people sitting at your bar all weekend long till it was gone. And I was like, I need to figure out how to get these special kegs. You know, I, I was like, that's what it comes down to. I was like, I'm not going to worry about 
the pizza part, I know we have a great product already. We did like a taste testing with all our family and friends and we all agreed and, and with Eric's help, with, you know, tell me how to put the recipes together. We had a great product. So I wasn't worried about that. I hired a guy that knew the pizza business pretty well, put him in the back and I took over the front. And I just focused on, you know, I was like, okay, we're a restaurant, you know, 150 seats, never ran a restaurant before. How do I do that? We learned on the fly. But the beer is what I focused on. I was like, if I can get these special kicks, I can get people in here. And back in 2012, I, I also learned about Facebook ads. So I was spending money on Facebook in 2012. And early. Yeah. Early. And, and I, you know, I called up Facebook. I was like, how do I learn this? And they said, give us 1500 bucks, which is a lot of money when you first open a restaurant mm -hmm. and we'll teach you how to do it. They did. And, um, you know, I've ran Facebook ads for the last eight years and I would put out, you know, about these beers that we're getting. And the process was, this: I said, okay, I want to be not a, not a little bar. I don't want to be a little pizza, pizza neighborhood pizzeria. I want to be the number one craft beer bar in Pittsburgh. I mm -hmm. want to be the number one destination pizza shop in Pittsburgh. So how do I be the number one beer destination in Pittsburgh? You know, beer bar, how do I do that? Well, you look at the top five, right? And you see, what are they doing? So I started looking at the top five and I would see their draft list. And I try to emulate their draft list and try to get the beer that they're getting. It's a game. It's really hard to get, get the beer. There was one bar on there that was getting all this beer that wasn't on anybody else's draft list. I'm like, how are they doing this? Well, I found out that they're going over to Philadelphia, five hours away. You know, Philadelphia might as well be in a different state. That's how far it is from Pittsburgh. So I'm figuring out they're driving to Philly, buying beer off the beer distributor, bring it back and tapping it. I call up my lawyer and he's like, yeah, it's illegal. I was like, well, how can I do it legally? He's like, you can't. And I start thinking about it and I call him back. I'm like, well, how can we do it legally? And he's like, I told you, you can't. And I was like, well, why not? And he said, well, because you don't have a, you can't have a license to move alcohol in Pennsylvania if you have a license for a bar. And I said, well, my wife's name is not on my license for the bar. He says, okay, we get your wife a license to move, move the alcohol. And I said, bingo, there we go. So for 3000 bucks, we got, bought my wife a license to move alcohol. And we were running a uh, Suburban from Enterprise. We drive it five hours over to Philly, buy $10,000 worth of beer. The ass envy dragon bass back the turnpike. <laughs> this stuff and I put all over Facebook. I remember, you know, we did it about three times. The fourth time, I remember when we got back, all this beer was so good. I mean, I was researching like crazy. I didn't go home and go on Sports Center at night when from an 18 hour day. I was going on all these beer sites and I was reading about beer. And for a guy who didn't even drink beer, I'm going on great beer, beer advocate, finding out all this great beer. I remember when we brought the fourth truck back and I said, I'm gonna put this all over Facebook and this is it. This is our coming out party because when people find out we have this beer, they're gonna go crazy. And I just kept loading up for the next three years, all this great beer, all this great beer. And um, that's how we, that's how we did it in the beginning. We just got known for having, you know, great beer. We became a craft beer weeks in Pittsburgh. We're all around Caliente. We'd have 20 to 30 events. We became, I would go to bars in Philly and I would say, okay, we need to, this is the type of glassware we need to use because they do this in Philly. This is how we need to make our bar look because they do it in Philly. Because Philly was a great, and still is a great craft beer uh, city. So I took a lot of things from going out there on these beer runs. You know, my wife loved, loved the beer and she, she thinks that was a great fun part of the business was getting to go to all these different bars out there. And we would just go and, you know, we'd, we'd eat, we'd drink and figure out all these different things that they were doing. And we bring them back to Pittsburgh and saw a bar that was all painted black. And we're like, yeah, we want to paint our whole bar black. Like we want to make it 
dim and just feel like you could sit there and drink for hours. And we did all these things. And then finally what happened was, you know, to, to bring a full circle real quick is this was for three years. Nobody talked about our pizza. This is way before pizza champions and all this. And what happened was is, you know, there was a, there's a marketing uh, tip out there for like the way to use your words. We we're in a contest for the um, best pizza in Pittsburgh for one of the TV channels. And who want, well, what I did was, you know, we're on Facebook. I have all this paid Facebook. So I did pay Facebook ads, vote for us, vote for us, vote for us. We finished third. And the first two were pizza shops that were institutions. They were there for 60 years in Pittsburgh. So I marketed us the best, the news named us the best new pizza in Pittsburgh. And by doing that, a guy from Punxsutawney named Scott Anthony, who is a writer, who is a writer for Pizza Today, he came in. And he was the one that told me about Pizza Expo and everything else. And that's how, you know, full circle that I got more involved in going to, to Vegas and then bringing Eric in and winning the championships. And when we got named to the World Pizza Champions team and we're advertising our pizza, I was like, you know what? I have now come full circle. I put my ego aside because sometimes in business you have to put your ego aside. I put my ego aside, promoted the beer so hard. And then the moment that the pizza came back around to catch up with the beer was one of the greatest feelings ever. And, you know, I was like, I'm, yes, I am a pizza guy. You know, it's, it, this is, it was full circle. felt so good. And that was kind of how, how we worked everything. Now, you know, for first four or five years, it was all beer related. Next couple of years, it was all pizza focused. Now we, we've done a really good job of promoting both together. You know, I got, I was like, all right, we've, we've wore the pizza. I don't want to say wore the beer out, but we did. You know, and then we wore the pizza out a little bit in the marketing. I said, now we can put it all together. Uh, we have a brand about championships, and we'll, we'll put a focus on our different things we do with beer and alcohol. We have full 24 taps, over 150 bottles at each store, full liquor. Uh, we have the slushies. If you want to come in and get a slushie, that was one thing we did during COVID. I was like, man, we need to add slushies, get some takeout sales going. And, um, you know, it's come full circle. So we, we promote everything. And I think that's just kind of how, um, how it's all come together. But the beer is so important. It really is. It's, uh, but you have to learn about it. You have to really get down and try and figure it out. But I would suggest anyone with alcohol to get into craft beer and not just be a place. I didn't want to have Miller Light Girl showing up on Fridays, you know, giving out free shots. I've, I'd rather have uh, a, a brewery down the street come in this brewer with a big beard would come in and, you know, show everybody the beer he just made this week and give them samples. Like that was way cooler than having some girl come in from Miller Lite, you know? Absolutely. So that's, that's just kind of how we, how we build it. Nick, you got a mug club? We do not have a mug club because Pennsylvania has a lot of different roles on a mug club. Just about a year ago, they, they eased some of the restrictions. So it's on a list somewhere about a mug club, but at the moment, no, we do not. <laughs> I can help you with that. <laughs> Oh, that's great. Awesome. Well, that's tremendous. Uh, Jamie, you got anything else for Nick? Yeah, listen, uh, two things. One, let's let you got to schedule him again because uh, there's we can, so we, much there's, here, there's right? So, so much we, uh, did, we, didn't, we, we didn't talk about. Yeah. And just a, a reminder for folks, he talked about Facebook ads. And so he was in there early. Mm. If, he, if he was doing mm. Facebook ads in 2012, uh, he would have learned a lot when it was a lot cheaper to do than it is today necessarily for impact. Uh, that doesn't mean if you haven't done it, don't do it. It means like you should absolutely, it's still, I think for restaurants, the easiest way to target your local uh, demographic. So um, uh, don't, no, don't, don't even hire someone right away. Do it, do what he did. Learn how to do it yourself. And when you know how to do it yourself, maybe you can outsource it to someone on your team 
or, or pay to have it done. But when you learn to do it right and to target the little groups and the segments and your beer specials and so forth, it really can be a powerful tool. So I thought, I thought that, that was a good takeaway. But yeah, I definitely want to come back and maybe in the future and visit some of the marketing stuff. Uh, maybe maybe uh, as, as he leaves, uh, so, uh, the last thing I'd like to hear about is just um, you know the, how the book came about yeah, in, in, a, in a quick way. And then like, are the future plans two more stores, five more stores, one more store, 100 stores? And that, that's, that's, that's kind of the last thing I'd like to know about. Okay, great. I can fill you in on all that. So last, uh, early 2019, I came out with The Pizza Equation. It's available on Amazon. And I, I've always wanted to write a book. And when I sat down, um, there was a lady that's going to help me with the operations manual. And when she pitched me on why she should write my operations manual, she showed me the book she wrote. I was like, you wrote a book? She's like, yeah. I was like, I want to write a book. She's like, oh. I was like, why don't you help me write a book? She had no interest. She wanted to do this operations manual. But I really convinced her like, hey, I'll do the operations manual, but I really want you to help me write a book. So I had the idea. I was just going to have her ghostwrite it. So we sat down. I would talk. She'd, she'd come back and show me what she wrote. And I just, you know, nothing against her. I just didn't like what, what she was coming back with. So I sat down every Thursday for an hour when the kids were in bed and the wife was in bed and I wrote and every Thursday. And then by the end of the year, I called the same lady back and she said, here's the publisher I used, or I mean the editor I used, I called the editor up. She looked it over and said, yeah, you have a book. I'll put it together. And another six months of, you know, her putting it together and bringing it back and asking questions. Can you expand on this and all this stuff? And um, when I came out with the book, it got great reviews for uh, in the pizza industry, I, I've had signings wherever I sold over a thousand book, books wow. in one clip. Awesome. I mean, it was it was great. I got a keynote speech at the Pizza and Pasta Expo out of the out of the book. Um, a lot of speaking engagements. I, I speak at all the all the international pizza expos and stuff like that, and then the Pizza and Pasta Expo, and a lot of it came out of the book. And I I really enjoyed it so much. And I realized that in my niche, what kept happening was is I was having people reaching out to me in the pizza industry and asking me different questions. Can you help me with this? Can you help me with that? And I liked it so much. I felt like I wanted to give back that I started a podcast called the business equation podcast. And I really think that the stuff that we do in restaurants and the stuff that we do in the pizzeria can be transformed into small businesses everywhere. I really believe that business is business. You know, and I, I believe that. So I have, Really, you know, I'm on episode 60 already of, of my own podcast. And in the beginning, it was the first 25 was just myself giving 20-minute tips about a lot of things. That I expand on a lot of things that we're talking about. Then I realized that, you know, with a podcast, you need to have different people on and other people to self, to network and promote it. So I've been bringing a lot of different guests on a lot of different industries. And I just uh, really have, have enjoyed that, you know, and that's kind of the, the way that I've been going. And to answer the, the question on Caliente and how many stores do we see, we had a, a sixth store that was going to be uh, open in April. So when COVID rolled up in March 15th, um, you know, I had this deal on the table where I had a, probably about 20000 uh, sitting in hand money and on certain equipment and a little bit of advertising and stuff. And, you know, I had the contract all the way till July. So I just kept planning out. I was like, man, I, it was going to be the biggest one with the highest rent. It was going to be 7,000 square feet. The rent was about almost 3,000 more than the one that we have right now. You know, so it was the highest rent out of all of them. And I, you can tell from talking to me, I'm a go-getter. I'm a risk taker. I go, go, go. 
it killed me to squash this deal, you know, but I just, I just couldn't do it. There's so much uncertainty during COVID that I just couldn't do it. I, I, you know, and I said, am I making excuses for myself? Am I being chicken? Am I, am I, you know, uh, you know, I, you ask about decisions and I try to always just make a decision, whether it's right or wrong. The worst thing I think you could do is not make a decision. And for three months, I didn't make a decision on this. I mean, it was down to where the guy called me. I was like, look, what do you want to do? Like, I need to know. And I said, well, if you give me more time, you know, I'll do it, but I'll do it when we're done with COVID. And he was like, well, you know, I'm going to probably try and reopen if you're not going to do it. I just need to know. So I told him, I said, all right, we're not going to open and um, you can have the, the hand money. And he said, I'll even, you know, gentlemen's agreement that if uh, COVID goes away and you want to open it up, I'll take the hand money off the next price. And I said, good enough. And, um, you know, we walked away from the sixth store and man, it, it was, it's still, you know, I, I said to my lawyer, I said, I, I just don't know if I made a good decision. And, you know, lawyers are always to the point. I think you know that, right? And he just says to me, it's not about a good or bad decision. You made a decision, you know, mm-hmm. and that's the way I've been able to live with it. So what I've been doing with COVID right now with my team, because, you know, we're talking about motivating your employees. How do you go back and tell them that, you know, a lot of things that one of the ways I motivate them all is like this is career opportunity. You know, we're going to open so many stores that you could be a cook today and a general manager in three years. Like, yeah. like we're going to build opportunity here and open more stores. So how do you go back and tell them that you didn't open a, a store when you said you were going to, you know? And, and um, you know, this is what I told them. I said, look, we're going back to the gym right now. We're going to work on making sure all our procedures and operations are strong. So when we, we get out of this, we can open up quicker. And we're going to work on building our middle managers up to upper managers. We're going to work really hard on them because just like in, you know, different times in a long history, 1987 when Wall Street crashed and then millionaires made in the 90s and 2008 with the housing markets and investing millionaires have been made afterwards. Like I believe that restaurateurs right now are in the greatest time in history because what's going to happen is, this is going to go on as everyone's seeing. I knew it wasn't going to be six weeks of quarantine and then life's, you know, happy again. Yeah. This could be, I believe, is going to go on for another two years at least. And, and when we come out of this, unfortunately, there's going to be a lot of restaurants that didn't make it. And real estate will be cheap. Um, restaurants are going to be cheap. Equipment will be cheap. There's going to be so many opportunities. So I believe this is, we're standing at a point a great time for restaurants if you're in that position. And if you can run your costs for the next two years to survive this. And what we're doing now is, you know, my getting back to gym is paying off debt, stacking cash. And then for them, it's, you know, training middle managers to be better managers and then making sure our procedures are top notch because, you know, we're about one store a year. I want to open a store a quarter when we get out of this. I want to double the size of the company in less than a year and a half. Like that's my plans. But if you're going to double your company, I've learned when we went from two stores to four stores, what that was like, you know, and, and sure going five to 10 might be a little different than two to four, but it's all about systems. That's what everything's about. So we have to have those in, in place and that's what we're working on right now. That's where the future of Caliente is. So for a number of how many do I like, I see us at, at 15. I'd like to be in Western Pennsylvania where anybody can hop in their car and go a 15 minute drive and get a Caliente pizza in Western Pennsylvania. You know, there's a place called Eaton Park here. That's kind of like a Denny's yeah. and you know, it's a family style restaurant and they have 30 to 40 restaurants in Pennsylvania. People love pizza and beer. Why can't we have, you know, at least 15, if not more 
throughout Western Pennsylvania. Absolutely. Roger, I love that phrase, going back to the gym or going to the gym and getting buffed yeah. up. We've talked a little bit about that. Mm-hmm. So that's a good thing to kind of kind of wrap them into, wrap this up with. What do, you, what do you think? I think that was a killer episode. And I agree with you, Jim. I think we should bring Nick back for round two. What do you say, Nick? Are you open I'd be to happy that? to. Yeah, All absolutely. Right. There's so much we covered, but there's so much still left <laughs> on the table that, that can totally help this industry move forward, not just survive COVID, but you, again, so many nuggets of powerful information that we all shared today that I totally agree with. Jamie and I are all over this stuff. We need to have you back. So I'll reach out to you for that. And we will have a round two and uh, we will release this episode probably in the next two weeks. So uh, I'm really glad you came. I mean, I learned a lot. It's like, there were so many great stories and just so much to this. This is one of the meatiest episodes, uh, pardon the pun, and uh, you probably bleed marinara sauce. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I always say pizza sauce is in my veins for sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, that was the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. Thank you to the audience for tuning in. Thank you, Nick and Jamin. and we will see you in the next episode. That's a wrap. That was a fantastic episode, guys. I hope you enjoyed learning and listening uh, to Nick Bogaz as well as Jamie and I did. We learned so much from this episode. But the real takeaway, of course, was systems, right? It's all about systems. And now during this crazy COVID crisis, now is the time to put systems in place in your restaurant to make it more productive, more profitable, train your staff, maximize your profits, all these things that'll give you a fighting chance now and a brighter future down the road. If this idea intrigues you, and if your restaurant is lacking these systems, why not reach out to me? I can help. Roger, R-O-G-E-R, at restaurantrockstars.com. Every quarter, I take on a select few new clients, and I help them put these systems in place in their operation. But if you like to do it yourself, we have a whole suite of resources, these systems available at restaurantrockstars.com. Also, check out my friend Jamie Oikel at runningrestaurants.com for a whole suite of restaurant resources there as well. If you like what you're hearing, please leave us a review on iTunes. And don't forget, we have a new Facebook group called Restaurant Rockstars Official. Why not join? And we will see you in the next episode. Thanks again. Thanks for listening to the Restaurant Rockstars podcast. For lots of great resources, head over to restaurantrockstars.com. See you next time.